That gravy scared me a little bit. Woo, it was dark and meaty, and I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. But I had faith. And uh, yeah, it was good. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is JJ, and uh, I get the honor of doing this next part, which is um, opening up God's Word with you, and I want to communicate <clears throat> some stuff with you to you today. Anybody down for that? Yeah. All right, let's pray. And um, we're here. Sometimes I feel like we've done our part, but God has something that he wants to do. And if you believe that God wants to speak to you, if you're hungry for God's word, um, then you came to the right place this morning. So, Father, we thank you for today. <clears throat> it was cool to hear Nate share that story. It was cool to be here and see that um, we honor you in ways that maybe we don't even think are honoring or good enough. Um, but when we see you and how you look at us, we realize that we're sort of enough just being ourselves. And so, Lord, we're here this morning, and it's not like the bright and shiny, polished version. It's just the regular old us. And we're believing that not only is that enough, it's actually what you are asking from us. So, Lord, we open up uh, your word today. We believe it's alive. It's active. It works. It does stuff. It changes us. It shows us more of who you are. It shows us more of how we should live. And so we open up and, uh, your word, and we also open up our hearts, open up our minds, and we open up this place, and we ask that you would speak into all of them. We love you, Lord. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> well, last week we started the last of our Rhythms series. Some of you are excited about that. Some of you are like, this is awesome. I love talking about how God is working in my life and I could keep doing it forever. Well, you're in luck because as long as you're breathing, you're going to always be growing and talking about what God is doing in your life. As a matter of fact, God's grace is so great. It's the only thing the Bible says that we will be blown away day by day throughout eternity. It's not like you get to heaven and you're like, boom, God's grace. Got it. Check. It says every day, forever. There is no bounds to his grace. We're blown away every single day. So much he rewards you for being faithful, and you're so blown away, you're like, you give the reward back to him. That's how big and powerful and awesome God's grace is. Last week, I had the honor of sharing with you guys a little bit about myself. I think it's important because today we're going to talk about why the bridge is why the bridge is. Now, this is type of stuff that we're going to talk about today that anyone who ever wants to serve at the bridge we want all people to serve. We go through this because, as Montel Jordan once said, and since we were singing some 90s songs this morning, we might as well take it back one more time because Montel was known for said, and this is how we do it. <laughs> That's the name of our message this morning. This is how we do it. Because we want to talk about specifically, we've looked at Jesus' rhythms the early church rhythms, why they did, what they were known for, why the stuff that was important to them was important to them. And then we bring it all the way now to us here, Bellingham, the Bridge Church. And I know this, after walking with Jesus, after as many years as I have, 
I actually do know a few things. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> One of the things I know is this. Like Mikey said, this is our time. I do know that the church has been doing, been alive since Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit invaded a group of people and rocked them and changed them forever. And Jesus says, you will be my people. You will be my witnesses. That's the day that the church was born. It had a birthday. And now you fast forward through the good, the bad, the ugly, the ups and downs. And here we are. We're still Jesus' witnesses. That's why we can look at the early church and we can take things from that. And we can be like, yes, that's what I want. But here's the deal. Like, like it was said about David... We talked about last week, David was faithful to the purposes of God for his generation. And then what does it say? And then he died. What does that mean? That means it was someone else's turn to take the mantle, to take the baton, and be faithful to the purposes of God for their generation. Guess what? This is our time. I remember when I was a kid, and my, I would hear stuff from adults. They'd say stuff like, I'm so scared about the world you kids are going to grow up in. It's so messed up. Basically, good luck. It's been messed up for you. There's nothing you can do about it. Sucks to be you, basically. I never was like really hyped on hearing that because I was like, what a buzzkill. I sort of like life. <laughs> I sort of liked life when I was a kid. I sort of like love life now. Even the hard stuff. I'm watching a series on Netflix right now about the Tour de France. Is anybody watching this? And this is one thing they said. This was hardcore, but it'll preach. They said, uh, pain is when you find out who you are. And I was like, ugh. But it's true. It's like even like the hard things about life, the things that are hard that I don't want to go through, when you come through and God sees you through, you know more about him, more about yourself. All that to be said, this is our time, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So don't tell your kids feel bad for you. <laughs> it makes them sort of feel like they've lost before they've even begun. Why don't we tell them, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your generation. I'm believing the things that are going to be. Yeah, there's darkness, but we sort of sang about it. God's light is bigger, more bright than the darkness. We're the people for the job. You guys realize that? <coughs> there are some things that we're supposed to do that are the exact same thing that every generation has been called to do since the church was born. And there are some things that are going to be unique to us here and now. There are some things that we are going to have to figure out by God's grace, through his word, by the power of his spirit on our own. It's sort of like you can learn a lot about stuff, but as you grow up. I was talking to my father-in-law yesterday and went to his house. He's like, you notice anything new? I'm looking around, and I'm like, uh. I'm like, oh, yeah. They got, I'm like, you got a new roof. He's all, we got a new roof. I was like, that is like the most adult sentence I've heard all week. <laughs> you live for all of these years and work hard so you can stand back one day because you buy a roof, and they're like, it's a 30-year roof, and you're like, oh, that's a gangster move when you buy a 30-year roof, and then 35 years goes by, buy another one. You know, no one told him how to do that. He sort of had to figure it out with his wife on their own as they're raising kids. There's just things you have to figure out on your own. 
Here's a concern that I have, that we should have. Sometimes the way we do what we do can get in the way. Church can, despite its best intentions, can end up making Jesus hard to find. It can sort of hide good news. Church institutions and practices can become barriers. Church cultures, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't, but they can feel cold and exclusive. People that God would love to gather to himself may not fit with the culture or understand the way stuff is done. The way we do church matters because it has an impact on people. People have been thinking about how to do church since church started. If you have your Bibles, we open up to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read two passages, and we're going to talk about them as we try to, as I try to, to um, distill down what's important to us here. The Apostle Paul was a church planner. God met him when he was at his worst. Can anyone relate to that? Changed his heart, put him into service with a unique gift set that he used for selfish purposes before he met God. And then used to glorify God with his life afterwards. And he went around. And he had a way of saying things. He had a way of putting words to stuff. Very gifted that way. Wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. All the letters to the churches. This is the Apostle Paul. He had a lot to say about how to do church. Let me read to you a couple things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is going to be our first text. Starting in verse 10. Let me read this. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. So read Corinth. Brian and I preached a series on this years ago at the bridge. It was called Home Crazy Home. Maybe some of you remember it. Just about how you read Corinth and you're like, that sounds like now. We're like, yeah, home sweet home, home crazy home. He's writing to this church in the city of Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought because they weren't. Brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What does this mean? One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, who's Peter. Still another, well, I follow Christ. I'm this type of Christian. I was raised in this type of church. This is important to me. I'm part of this network. Cool. Well, I follow Jesus. It's all this comparison. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he says, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you could say that you were baptized in my name or in like his way. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, 
lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. There was a thing back in the day, who was the best leader? People loved Apollos because he was a dynamic preacher, apparently. He had a way of painting with words that drew people in. Paul was a strong leader. He had a way of setting up structure and empowering others to lead. Peter was a fisherman, blue-collar guy, probably was very relational, and people, people were like, oh, when Peter, maybe he talked about his failures. Man, I denied Jesus myself, he might say, right to his face. And he looked at me and loved me, so he has love for you. Maybe that was his relational way of speaking to people. But Paul was like, man, people are about this way or about that way. We just want to be about Jesus' way. Well, what does that look like? Another scripture I want to read to you. Flip over a little bit to the right, chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bible, you should get one. And if you need one, we'll give you one. So just uh, on your way out, grab one off the back table. But um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, says this. This is what was important to Paul. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew so I could win the Jews. The Jews had a very strict moral compass way of living. They had daily routine and ritual. You could say they had a liturgical lifestyle. There were things that they did every day at certain times that were very important um, to their heritage and to their... So he's like, that's what's important to you? That's important to me. And then he says, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became one like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those that are under the law. He could say, I'm trying to show honor to people who live this way and not hold it over their head or put them on blast. To those not having the law, I became one. I became like one not having the law. To those who don't, this isn't their rhythm. They don't understand why you do this in the morning, why you do this at prayers at noon, why this. They weren't part of your family tree and part of your heritage. They're a Gentile, the Bible would say. Did you catch some of those names? Cephas, Gaiaphas, what does that sound like? Sounds like Roman names. They weren't part of a Jewish heritage. And so he's like, I don't put that on them. They don't get it. They're not less than, but I want them to know Jesus. I don't want to make Jesus hard to find. So to those that are not under the law, I became like one not under the law. Even though, let's see, though I am not free from God's law, meaning God has rule over my heart, but I'm under Christ's law as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. Then Paul says this famous thing that you maybe heard before. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. He's sort of saying the way I live my life is, number one, ruled by God. His way is the most important. So when Paul would think about his day and his week and his life and his year, he would be like, what is God doing? It's most important. But then his second thing is, is how do I show people the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the reality of God? These things consumed his mind. 
And he was like, I want to meet people where they're at. I don't want to add any burdens to them. And I want them to meet Jesus. It sounds really familiar to my heart. It sounds really familiar to who we are and what we want to do. The bridge is both the same and different than the early church. There are sort of three things that you might hear around here or have seen around here that kind of sum up what we want to do or this is how we do it. The three words are gather, grow, and give. This week I'm going to talk about gather. I feel like it's the church, the church has a responsibility to people. And But next week I'm going to talk about the second two because I believe that you as a person have a responsibility to this community. You have a responsibility to the church, to God. So let's talk about gather, grow, and give. These are sort of the three words that we use that are hopefully simple, easy to understand. They tie us to God's plan for all churches, and they allow us to be who we are in our time in this church. They take into the account of my personal giftings, my past, which I shared about last week, and also yours. Gather. We as the bridge exist to gather people to Jesus. We don't exist to just gather people together. There's a lot of things that exist to gather people together. We exist to bring people to Jesus. We want to build bridges to Jesus, not barriers to people. Three things that can be barriers, but with intentionality, they can actually be bridges to Jesus. That's what I want to spend the rest of our time with this morning. Kind of sum it up like this. We gather people to Jesus through three things. Our culture, our communication, and our character. Culture. Paul was talking about it. Culture is so important. So much of what you do when you start something, and you have to re- um, infuse this all the time, whether it's a business, whether it's a family with a family motto, whether it's a church, is culture. This is who we are. You could also call it your atmosphere. And older people don't think younger people are ungodly when they call it their vibe. That's just their word for it. This is our vibe. This is who we are. It's the way we do what we do. That's your culture. That's your vibe. That's your atmosphere. Every place you go has one. The North ha- Northwest has one. Vibe, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Northwest is chillax. Who said chillax? <laughs> I was looking for something else, but it is chillax. Northwest is best. I hear it all the time. Which, if you, you know, modern day language, look it up at Urban Dictionary, it means chillax. That's good. The Northwest has one. Did you know your home has a culture? Parents, when kids, first of all, do other kids come to your home? If the answer is no, that might tell you something. (laughs) If the answer is yes because there's no no rule to your home, that might tell you something as well. Your home has a culture. What kind of culture do you want your... Your presence, your personal presence has a culture. When you arrive at work, when you arrive to people, do do you add 
to what's going on? Or people are like, yes. Josh is here. Uh. Our presence is better because he is here. Or is it you're like, oh, this is going to be work. Your presence has, is both. His parents are laughing. It's both. But your presence has with it a culture, a tone. It's the same with us. It sets the stage for everything you say. That person's mean, so I know no matter what comes out of their mouth, it's negative or mean. A couple of church culture critiques, if I may. Present company included, because we're the church, and I'm a person, and I don't always have the best tone. Churches have been known to have an exclusive feel. That's why when you're new to church, you're sort of like, is there room for me here? Or do they even want me to be here? You guys realize this is like a very real thing in our setting. And the answer is, yeah, we want you to be here. Why? Because Jesus wants you to be here. Church can unintentionally become cold to people who are outside. When this is the case, it can exclude people that God would want to include. Just read the Gospels. <clears throat> Church can feel closed off. You know, the Northwest felt kind of closed off to me. I'm from Colorado. Apparently, we smile a lot, and we get sad when it rains. Who's excited that it rained yesterday? This is how Northwest I am. I was so pumped. I was thinking about the farmers out there. I'm like, man, they're so stoked right now. But really, I was thinking about the trails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, the trails need it. Sure is dusty this year. But I felt like I didn't, I showed up here, and this is also partly me, because I have, I like to be included, and for people like, JJ, we love you. But I sort of felt like when I moved up here, up on the mountain or riding my bike, I sort of felt like everybody already had enough friends. They didn't need any more. We're good. <laughs> hey, guys, can I join? Mm. I know. So I remember God saying, that, that sucks, right? I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. So it became a thing to me, no matter what, to make sure the Lord's like, you can change that. And instead, I could have got bitter <clears throat> and been like, no one appreciates me. I only do that when I'm alone now. <laughs> no one loves me. Um, why doesn't anyone ask me to be a part? Because those are real feelings, and they really hurt. And I've, this is what I felt the Lord speak to me. Well, why don't you include some other people? And now here we are. We get to include as many people as we want. Why? Because that's God's heart. Next week we can talk about some requirements, maybe. Like you got to be willing to grow and you got to get involved. Give. Preview for things to come. Or they feel like this isn't for me. Maybe because sometimes there can be a loss of reality. How are you? Everything is great. 
But the reality is church is a place where people go to be with Jesus because everything may not be great. Or we might need to like have some, we need God to lead us through something. And so we believe crazy stuff like if we go to church and I don't lean on what I understand, but I acknowledge God and I just say, Jesus, Jesus, like you're greater than the darkness. And we proclaim these things and then we open his word and we ask for him to speak to us that somehow he's going to do something in our lives that when we go back to Monday, there's been a deposit made that God is working in us and through us. Like, I believe that. Does anybody else? This is for me. We at the bridge, we don't want a closed feel. We want an open feel. We want this place to feel like not only can I go, but there's a seat saved for me. I'm invited. Another thing, church can be hard to understand. I don't think it's supposed to be. Different denominations have developed their different traditions, their own traditions, and they have like a rad reason to do it. If you were there at the beginning when they were established, it's awesome, kind of like family traditions. We do this. Our family, we open Christmas presents on Christmas Eve because that's the best way to do it. And if you disagree, well, you're wrong. Because on Christmas Day, nobody's at the mountain. And snowboarding, is that's also our tradition. But we want to open up by doing churches in ways that are like clear, understood by people. I'm not against church traditions. I'm not against liturgy. Liturgy just means, ready, rhythm. So do we have a liturgy at our church? Yep but we tried to keep it as simple as possible that we wouldn't be confusing to anyone because we want people to know more first. We want people to know first you belong here. Even if you don't believe or behave, you can belong. That's our culture. That's why I dress the way I do. It's not to make light of God's holiness, being a pastor, you know, it's ro- all robes and all that. That's awesome. But the way I do it, because remember I talked about last week, I was welcomed in a place, and it changed my life. I want people to be welcome in a place. God is glad you're here, whoever you are, whatever you did. God's glad you're here. So we're glad you're here. We believe this, if our culture is open and inviting, people can find faith here. Not only can they find faith, they would invite others to find faith as well. That's what we believe. The second thing is our communication. We gather people with our communication. Our culture is how we say it, that's our tone, but what we say. When you look at Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the people, they What happened to them? What was the gift of the Spirit that was manifested? They spoke in tongues. You guys ready? We're going to do it right now on the count of three. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Actually, could I tell you something? If this message is speaking to your heart, then I'm using a gift of tongue at the moment. 
because the gift of tongues is when God uses something that someone's saying about the greatness of God and it speaks to you. Sometimes it's in an un, uh, unintelligible okay, tongue that you don't understand but your spirit understands. Sometimes it's speaking somebody else's language. Why? Because the Holy Spirit speaks people. He speaks all people's language. And so when, and that's why Paul was like, it seemed good to God that we would preach the Bible and God would use the foolishness of some dude or woman teaching from scriptures that it would speak so much to people that they would go, I want that. But it's the foolishness of the message preached that shows the power of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Paul said this about the way he taught people in Corinth. Back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so it was with me, you guys, he says, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdoms as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. He's all, I didn't use big, confusing words to make me sound smart or to make me look holy or cool. I proclaim to you the testimony about God. I resolved in my heart, he could have done those things, but he says, this is what I resolved in my heart. Know nothing with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, fear, much trembling. He was like, look, I may have been the leader, but I'm just like you. I'm scared sometimes. I'm weak sometimes. Sometimes I don't know what to do, but I proclaimed Jesus and him crucified, and it worked. You know why? He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, so that, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He's like, man, I don't care if I sound smart, if I sound whatever. He's like, it's actually on purpose, because I want God to work in your life, and I don't want you to be like, Paul's so rad, he's amazing. We go to Paul's church, he's the best. He's like, I want you to say, I belong to Jesus. I need God to speak to me. I need God to direct my life. I need God's grace in my life, not the grace of another person. That's great, but we need Jesus. That's what Paul's whole life, and he fought for it. Let me tell you, people fought against him for it wasn't totally popular because when you look the part and you can, you can make yourself look good or better than someone else, and let me tell you, it feels good. That's why those kids in middle school started doing it, and that's why when they got older, they still do it. They make fun of other people and make them look bad, so they feel good about themselves. Paul was, like, not into that. We want to gather people to Jesus through our teaching. And we teach the way we do on purpose. Because there's a difference between knowing a lot about the Bible and knowing Jesus a lot. I want people to know Jesus a lot. When we come to Jesus, none of us know a lot about the Bible. I remember when I first started going to church, I was sitting in Sunday school, and the teacher would ask some, because it's the best. Teaching kids is awesome. I learned, I cut my teeth teaching your kids forever, so then I could take something like this, and make it like this. Because God was going, yeah, that's how you do it. Do that. Because adults need to hear that stuff too. Don't, 
don't make so many words. God's been telling me forever the same thing you're telling me. Don't talk so much. <laughs> Distill it down. Is there a way to say that more simply? I heard something amazing in a podcast this week. Parents, this is for free. It's not in my notes. It says this. When you're communicating to your children, don't use, use sentences with no more words in them than the number of their age. Oh, so good. If your kid is three, if you want to communicate something, start three-word sentences. Is there six? It's nothing like when a, you see a parent with a toddler at the playground and the kid like doesn't, and they're like, do you see how irresponsible you're being right now? And the kid's all like boogers hanging out of his nose. <laughs> then I think about my kids. Don't jump off the top. Jump halfway down. Here, how do we teach? I kind of have three words around the way I want to teach. Open, outward, and simple. These are when, I, when anyone's going to teach the scripture. I just try to be like, open. Don't, don't hide stuff. Put it out there. Outward. Make room for the person who has no understanding of Bible because they're included too. You don't have to like know code to get the most out of a Sunday message or a Bible study. As a matter of fact, that was kind of the case with Jesus and the people who knew the most didn't understand the most. We talk about real life here because the Bible speaks to the reality of the human experience. God understands what you're going through. You're not alone and no matter where you're at, God is inviting you to take a step toward him. That's called a step of faith. Whether you are here and you've been a Christian for 50 years, or you're a skeptic or a cynic, Jesus is inviting you to take a step of faith. We want to make sure through our communication that people know that. So we try to share in a way that anybody who is hungry for God might find him. That's why we say stuff like vibe. Keeps us so culturally relevant. Just kidding. Okay, last but not least. We have our culture, we have our communication. I don't know if this is the most important one, but man, it sure is the third leg of the stool, because if this one isn't in there, the other ones fall. It's this. We gather people through our character. Critique. One of the biggest, biggest hurdles for people to find faith in Jesus isn't the culture. Maybe like they, they, people say stuff like, yeah, Christians, they're weird, but they're nice. Cool culture, I guess. It's not our teaching. Gandhi said, I love Jesus' teaching. It's the people. It's the character. That's hard, because that's us. One of the biggest hurdles to finding faith is the experience people have had with Christians. Now, this is not time to throw all Christians under the bus. This is just time to like think it through. It's willing to, are we willing to put some intentionality behind that? This is what we see, these people see in our daily lives. This speaks to our character. I was thinking about character. I'm like, okay. Define character. What is the people? It's like who you are when no one's looking. Well, if our teaching is 
telling people what we believe. Our character shows what we believe. So I'm, I'm, these are words that come into my mind. I'm like, all right, JJ, your character is if you had to live your life without speaking, that would show people your character. It's sort of like what you do, the way in which you do it. The things we tell people, the things we say tell people what we believe, the way we live shows them. Jesus said it's important. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world. It means that there's this little light of mine. I'm just going to let it shine. A city that's set on a hill can't be hidden. So it's open, it's outward, simple. Neither do people light a lamp and then hide it or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, let your life, let your character shine before the world that they may see how you live and give glory not to you but to Jesus. So how do we gather with our character? Well, I start in myself and I move outward. At the bridge, you know what the best thing for me to do every week is? Come to Jesus. I prepare a message. I put my heart and soul into it. But the best thing I can do every week is show up to church with the reality of where I'm at. At the bridge, we gather to Jesus because we need him. Before service, every week we get together in some part of the building and we pray. Whoever's here serving, we try to get everything done by 9.15 and we try to get together and pray. Well, we do get together and pray, but sometimes people are busy and they can't, so I'm not going to be like, at 9.15, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Um, you're going to listen to that song later today, and I'm trying to think of all the lyrics to make sure they're appropriate, and I, don't, I think it's pretty cheesy. I think we're good. But we get together and we pray. Why? Because we want to see Jesus. We want God to do stuff in your life. But before that, we want God to do stuff in our life. Like we, we need him first. I never understood the plane thing when they're like, if you're going down and the oxygen mask comes, put your own oxygen mask on first and then help your kid. I'm like, no way. But then I got it. Well, if you're passed out, you can't help anybody. We need this. We gather to Jesus. Yes, we invite other people. Yes, we are open to anyone who wants to come because Jesus is. Yes, we make room for everyone. But the best thing we can do, church, is to keep going to Jesus ourselves. And, and in, in that place, we're reminded of God's grace in our own life. I always say Jesus plays the long game with them. Why? Because he's playing the long game with me. That's God's grace. We are committed to Jesus because he is committed to us. We are committed to his word because it is light in the darkness in my own life. We're committed to his mission because it's for the whole world. This is what I want to be said about the bridge. Oh, if you're looking for Jesus, someone walking around Bellingham, I'd like to find Jesus. Go to the bridge because we're proof you can find him here. 
I heard someone to say to me before church this morning, it was the Lord's way of being like, preach it, dude, and here's why. Someone goes, hey, I came here today wondering if God's here. And I thought about this part of my note. I'm proof that he's here. So are you. Here's my conclusion. I'm going to end it up. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to take communion together. We are God's church in our time. His mission is the same, to reconcile the world to the Father. Jesus started it. And then he says, you will be able to do these things and greater because the Holy Spirit will come upon your life, fill you, and you too will be a bridge, an ambassador, a reconciler, first in your own life and then with those around you. That's important to us here. We have a heritage that is so rich, but we also have a unique call. That's who we want to be. We are a gathering church. Not we are going to do our own thing. That's not what gathering is. Gathering is we're going to go be with Jesus. You want to come? We need him. We love him. You need him and love him too. You want to go? We're going to go be with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And as we sing the song and prepare our hearts, to take communion. I just want to ask that you would take anything that was deposited here today in someone's life and that you would sort of just tattoo it on their heart, that it wouldn't get snatched up from unbelief or doubt or past hurt or that it wouldn't get taken away from the, from the things in life they're trying to figure out, but that it would, it would yield some fruit in their lives, that it would build faith, that it would build identity that it would build the kingdom of God in their, in their heart. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we get to be a church and a group of people that know what it is to experience God's grace and extend it to others. So we sing the song to you as a response to how great you are, and we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.